Hey guys, Austin Nasso here with Working Comic Podcast, episode 11. In this episode, I had the privilege of interviewing Natalie Holt, an esteemed stand-up comedian and producer in the Seattle comedy scene. Uh, In this interview, we talk about things ranging from producing a successful open mic to Natalie's experience moving to Seattle from Florida, you know, what it takes for someone to uh, really become a successful comic in this uh, Northwest comedy scene. And we also talk a bit about, you know, the state of comedy in Seattle for, you know, more marginalized, typically groups in stand-up, such as women, people of color, and LGBT community. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy this insightful interview. Hey guys, welcome back to Working Comic Podcast. I'm here with Natalie Holt. Natalie Holt is a popular comedian, podcast host, showrunner, writer, and leader in the Seattle comedy scene. Thanks for being here, Natalie. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for saying all those lovely things I told you to say. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, those are things you told me to say. Yes. But they're all true. Directly ordered. Uh, Yeah, hi. Thanks for having me. Hey, so when I first got into the Seattle scene, I just slowly started seeing you everywhere. I, I just saw you... You know, just like running a ton of shows because you were in like Comedy Nest. And I was on the um, Pacific Northwest Comedians page and I just saw that you admin it. Mm-hmm. And whenever I hear your name, it sounds like you're a very like respected leader in the scene and you seem like you're like everywhere. Oh. Like whether it be like Jai Tai or just like underground or <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I'm absolutely anywhere a bus line goes. <laughs> I'm, getting, I'm there. Uh, thanks. That's very nice to hear. Uh, well respected, or maybe people are cursing my name. I don't know. It's it seems positive. But I guess <laughs> that's cool. So, uh, like, how did you? You weren't always in. You're not a Seattle native. No, I moved here from Florida a few years ago, uh, and I'd thought about doing comedy there, but I didn't quite get into it. I went to one open mic. Uh, a lovely Florida <laughs> open mic. It was at a bar located between two motels, I think called Coconut Jacks. And wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I went there to check it out. I'd been thinking about doing comedy and I was like, I'll just go see what it's like. Uh, and I always loved watching comedy, but I went there and it was basically 30, 30 dudes sadly talking about their ex-wives and, wow and i was coconut thought, jacks yeah and i thought oh maybe comedy isn't for me <laughs> and so i didn't i didn't try it again for a while till i moved out here wow yeah coconut jacks that's not really like what you think of when you think of like this is the start of my comedy career <laughs> that's crazy so why um you know were you just always interested in comedy were you like the class clown or like Something um, like that. I don't think I don't think I was a class clown. I think I was like my comedy was too smart. Uh, for the yeah. Kids. No, I did, <laughs> I did always think I was funny, uh, and I love I love humor. I was always watching, you know, sketch shows and stand up comedy and that kind of thing. I was a big fan of, you know, whatever you are as a kid, Monty Python, Kids in the Hall, and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Um, uh, what was that show? I can't remember now. Living Color. Uh, the Nickelodeon show oh, all that all that that's it yeah oh, that, was <laughs> that kind of stuff so I was always yeah I was always into comedy and I always thought it was kind of funny but I don't know you get told a lot of you get subtly kind of 
told that maybe it's not the thing you shouldn't do. And I think I, looking back, internalized a lot of that stuff, you know, I'm here. Wait, like people told you not to pursue comedy? Is that what you mean? Not, a, not a, uh, like exactly to your face you know people don't say that stuff but you just get messages i remember one time my sister i was it wasn't i wasn't we weren't even talking about me doing comedy but it just came up she said oh i think only you know ugly girls do comedy or something yeah that kind of thing and or you know that's those are for women who you know want to like don't get along with people i don't know you just get and you see a lot of even in my favorite comedies you know some of them looking back i'm like oh the there was only maybe the one woman, and she didn't really have anything funny to do. You know, some movies I love, like Half Baked or whatever. I look back and I'm like, oh, you know, kind of. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I feel like people have a very um, weird, like, su- like they don't even realize that they're communicating mm-hmm. a negative thing about being in comedy, but they totally are. Like, if you tell some people that, yeah, I want to be a comedian, some people might be like, oh, okay, like that, mm-hmm. like just like the way they inflate their voice and the way they respond to you, like. Even though they're sure. not like quit comedy, mm-hmm. they're basically implying like Which, maybe yeah. <laughs> this isn't the best priority for you. Which I think is awful. I think if anyone tells you they want to do comedy, you should do it. You should try yeah. it if it's something you want to do because it's something I always wanted to do, but I like was discouraged by factors or discouraged myself, and it took me a long time to do it. And now I love doing it, and mm-hmm. it's my favorite thing. It's so it's so interesting because I feel like comedy is one of those things where, like, if you just like do it and like you don't listen to that negative encouragement like I mean not that anyone can do it but like if you have a certain amount of intuition about what's funny you can gain skill I think by going to open mics and like actually just like practicing and practicing and practicing Mm -hmm. it's like I don't know I was like reading this book and there was like this tale of a frog like in a ditch okay it was like this tale there was a frog Mm -hmm. in a ditch there were these two frogs and um they were trying to jump out of the ditch and um one of them like just oh yeah they like looked up and there were like a bunch of these other like animals and stuff like yelling mm-hmm. but like they didn't know they couldn't uh he- i'm butchering this so bad they couldn't like hear what they were saying so one of the frogs jumped out and i guess the frog that wow this is the worst telling of a tale what happened to the other frog? Okay, okay. One frog jumped out and one frog didn't and died. And like the whole, it, it just, it died really Whoa. hard. Yeah, it was really oh, dead. Man. <laughs> okay. But the point was that like one of the frogs was like deaf and the other one can hear and they were actually like jeering at them like you can't do it. But the oh. one that was deaf thought they were like cheering for him. So oh. he got out. So that took way too long to explain. But anyway, it, the oh, point man. is like positive encouragement. Like even if it's just perceived, it's, yeah, it, yeah. it's so influential. <laughs> <laughs> Whew, that story took a darker turn than yeah. I expected. All right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the bottom line is like uh, don't, don't be listen dead, to the haters. Yeah, and become a dead frog. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, yeah, I don't know. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, so... What, what was it like getting back into, uh, you know, comedy after that initial um, Coconut Jacks <laughs> experience? Uh, well, you know, I moved out here and I I lived in Florida my whole life and I moved out here and I was thought, hey, this is a great chance to do all the stuff I kind of wanted to do. But I don't know, sometimes when you're from a place or you've lived in a place a long time, there's expectations you put on yourself or you feel or put on you. And mm-hmm. so I waited till I, it was kind of a fresh start. So a few months after I moved here, I started 
looking at comedy again because I'd always just written down jokes and written things down. So I had some things to say. <laughs> yeah. And I found the Comedy Womb, which is now the Comedy Nest, uh, which was started by Danielle Kale Gregoire, uh, and went over there and did my first open mic, which was great. It was a perfect supportive environment. I did a set, and she asked me to come do a show she was putting on and do like five minutes on it in a couple months, which was great, very encouraging, gave me kind of like a impetus to go out and try other open mics and work on something since I now had a show that I needed to do. And yeah, the rest is, I guess, you know, history. I didn't, I, w I won't say I was a active member of the community initially. I was very much like, I'll just come in and hide and do my set yeah. <laughs> and watch everybody. Um, but, you know, eventually it became a bigger part of my life. I didn't tell anyone in my, I knew that I was doing it for maybe six months. Right. Because I didn't, I was like, well, if I fail, at least I fail in silence yeah. and no one knows. So. Interesting. So it seems like that initial support um, was really helpful for you. Yeah, you know, it is nice. It was it was not expected, and it definitely was helpful to have that um, because it it is hard, and I understand a lot of people struggle with that. I everyone I think still still sometimes you struggle with that because it's a lot of self motivating, which is not the easiest thing for a lot of people. I think. Mm -hmm. Who want to be comedians to do we're all not all i'm not gonna say that but you know like a, a lot of us very anxious people yeah neurotic have a lot of hang-ups and stuff so mm -hmm. the self-motivating can be tough so having that external thing was nice and then you know eventually you do it for yourself i guess so was the um original founder of comedy nest uh, did you look at her as a like sort of a mentor to you or was she just offering support here and there um, yeah, they were great. Um, they offered support and were very encouraging. Um, they, I think, did a lot. I give them a lot of credit for bringing people into uh, women, especially, and non-binary folks into comedy because it's nice to have a place where you can go and, like, you're not worried about that other part of comedy that definitely comes up where you're the punchline. Mm -hmm. And you have to just sit there and listen to that, and then you also have to go up and be maybe one of the only people in the room and you know there was a lot of uh women non-binary folks who are out there doing that who didn't have that safe space and like credit to them for making comedy a much better place overall and just going out and dealing with all that stuff you know everyone who kind of came before you is making it better um but i think it's a great space and i'm happy it still exists now as the comedy nest which i'm lucky enough to produce with kristen leonard uh dewa dorje Monisa Brown and Andre Pejeron uh, every Tuesday at the rendezvous. So, yeah. So, I mean, the, the focus of that mic is to, like you said, create that safe space, which is really important. Yeah. And as far as, well, it's, we consider it like a safer space because we don't, the idea isn't that you can't talk about things. It's that you just talk about, you know, your lived experiences. You're not talking about, an, you know, you're not being racist or homophobic or anything, which I don't think a lot of people are intentionally, but then, you know, it's like, oh, what's the punchline to this is it who who is it is it yourself or is it mm -hmm. like if you make it it's kind of the i don't know to go to like rape jokes or whatever yeah is the joke on 
the the survivor, the victim, or is the joke on the culture and what enables and it? criticizing that? Yeah, and it's, so it's not that you might not hear about something that might be triggering, like suicide or rape or something like that. It's that you're going to hear it from a perspective of someone who you know experiences that or has something to say about that. That where it isn't like the punchline isn't you know on exactly. the people who experience it. Exactly. No, that totally makes sense. Yeah, I should have, um, I know I said like safe space really fast and there's a lot of like connotation with that of it being like, like you were saying, yeah. like people are like, oh, safe space and comedy and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I, I definitely meant more along the lines of like, this is more of a, um, a, a community to sure. foster like, and know, I don't think that safe different sp- perspective, not like a safe space and that like you can't talk about things. Sure. And I don't think safe space is negative and, you know, spaces exist for that. But we uh, we just don't – a safe space is considered, you know, kind of like trigger-free or yeah, you know, have yeah, those yeah. warnings. And we don't necessarily do that in our space. It's, okay, cool. But, yeah, it's the rule is more no punching down, hate-free, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. That's cool. Yeah. That's really important because I feel like comedy just like historically is kind of like laughing at the smaller person. Mm-hmm. So it's good to have, you know, different perspectives where it's not only that. Totally, yeah. So, yeah, you've been in, uh, you know, Seattle for four years now. And mm-hmm. I'm just, like, curious for you, um, you know, what's your experience been like as a female in comedy? Do you notice, like, a huge um, difference in the way people are treated or the way, like, you know, people mm-hmm. get booked and stage time and all that? Mm, I mean, you know, speaking for myself, you notice, you notice stuff and – there's definitely, even in Seattle, a pretty progressive place. There's, you know, backlash against things like all women shows or shows featuring entirely people of color, that kind of thing, uh, which is, I think, you know, an aspect of kind of, like we mentioned before, you know, there's there are people who feel a lot of entitlement in some ways. Um, and, yeah, you notice stuff. Uh, running the Comedy Underground open mic has been kind of more... I've experienced more of that where uh, you see, I don't know, I just, people will talk to me in ways that I don't think they would talk to a guy, one of the other, one of the other managers at the underground who's running it. Um, you know, I've, I'm pretty outspoken about my political views and that kind of thing. And I think that sometimes that can make color the way people view me. They might think that I'm pushing some kind of agenda on them when really, I don't know, maybe they're just not, they don't do that well in front of the audience and they're not that funny. I feel like yeah. as a comedian, I don't I don't necessarily want to book people that I just agree with or that I find funny. The audience also, you know, they have to find them funny. Mm-hmm. They have to do well in front of a crowd. And they're, everyone's in different stages of development and you have to find ways to give people opportunities. And that is also something I'll notice is I feel sometimes um, the only people giving, you know, women non-binary folks who are coming up opportunities are other women non-binary folks and I it's not something that I think is kind of a struggle where you tend to want to help people that you see reflected in yourself and so that's another thing is maybe mentorship is something that's hard to come by as a woman um in comedy you have to find someone who because it's already a little bit harder as a woman because mm-hmm. you're already fighting against kind of that and you know on top of that if you're um like a woman of color there's all you you have to fight against everything that is kind of already projected onto you mm-hmm. so 
don't know. In some ways, it's tough, but in some ways, it's also, I don't know. I don't have any complaints, <laughs> I guess, about being a woman in comedy. Yeah. Because I love doing it, and to me, I, I don't know. If you, if you're booking me because I'm a woman, then I'm always like jokes on you because I'm gonna be the best comic on the show. Not, yeah. not necessarily that, but I do feel. Um, I want to be considered. Obviously, everybody wants to get to that point where it's not. You're not being booked because you're a woman, or you're not being booked. But I also think that. I don't know if I'm explaining myself very well. Um, this is good. I think it's okay. Well articulated. As a booker, you know, you want to, I don't know, you want to book people diversely, but you also have to acknowledge that booking diversely and booking quality, those are those are the same thing. They came, they're totally the same thing. It's not that you're booking someone because of this. They just happen to be a woman and be a great comic or whatever. And mm-hmm you're also providing a value for your audience when you do that because I don't know I have I imagine there aren't a lot of guys who people will come up after a show and be like it was so awesome to see a guy on this show (laughs) you know like it was so like I loved your set it's like I never hear that kind of stuff at a comedy show and I don't think that really happens with a lot of guys and so I think that that's kind of a important part of getting more women and, you know, as many people as possible because really a lot of people say comedy should be a meritocracy, but how can it be a meritocracy until everybody's starting off on the same foot, until the playing field is completely level? Yeah, that's so true. I mean, a lot of people, you know, it's like that whole, you know, debate on, I feel like it's somehow related to like affirmative action kind of discussion of like, some people are like, well, let's only book the sheer, like, by numbers, like, the best people. Or, like, um, but we don't, a lot of the times, people that have that mentality aren't taking into account that, like, once you actually get, like, people that have, like, for comedy, at least, like, a diverse perspective, like, mm-hmm. a bunch of people with diverse perspectives, that makes the entirety of the show way better. And, okay, also, that just sounded like maybe I'm saying that, like, one type of person would mm-hmm. be funnier. Um, I don't, okay, I don't know. I feel like I didn't explain that well at all. No, no, I, I see what you mean. Like well, and when you say that, you know, I, we're just, we're not, if you look at one thing that you'll see is, you know, it's a lineup, it's all, you know, white cis men or something, and you say, and a, a lot of bookers might argue, well, I just book the best people, but are they examining, you know, kind of their intrinsic biases? Like I said, you look at someone who is like you, you know, I'm, I'm sure some of my favorite comedians are people that I aspire to be or that I feel like I see some part of myself in and I think that goes for a lot of people and you know if they're your pal or if you just you just think like oh this guy's funny because he says stuff I relate to and I think is funny yeah exactly it's a very subjective like scale so like if yeah I guess that's you're helping my point like Mm -hmm. um if someone's like these are the best then it's like okay maybe they're the best from your perspective you you your unique like tastes and like from Mm -hmm. like your unique history or whatever, but they're not necessarily like this doesn't make this type of person the best or this these people the best. Like in reality, you might not find something funny just because maybe you don't relate to that perspective or you don't like it's just like not necessarily your taste in humor, but it would actually benefit the show because it would represent more like other people in the audience's taste in humor. 
Yeah. That kind of makes sense? I don't know. Well, yeah. It's like if you threw a party and all you bought was Dr. Pepper because you're like, this is the best soda. And there are people who are like, well, I don't really like Dr. Pepper. Exactly. Well, but it's the best. It's my favorite. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So you you just like that diverse perspective. It just makes the entirety better. And Dr. Pepper sucks, just on record. Yeah, it's not good. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like I definitely like in middle school went through a Dr. Pepper phase Mm -hmm. where I just liked it a lot. And then I, like, I don't know, one day it clicked that it was just really bad. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Too many flavors. 23, I don't need that many. Yeah. It's too many flavors. <laughs> so how did you, I see that you're also um, an admin on the Pacific Northwest mm-hmm. Comedians page. So how did that, ha- I feel like that's kind of like a really big responsibility in a way. Because it's like, that page is like 10,000 people. It's about 5,000 people. Um, It's, you know, I admin it with a couple other people, Emmett Montgomery, Nick Dector, and uh, I think Robert Pitty also is an admin. So, you know, you split it. It's mostly just trying to avoid spam and make sure the people who get in aren't bots and people aren't posting, you know, come see, come to, I don't know, whatever, my one-man show in the middle of nowhere. It's (laughs) because it's for booking opportunities. So it's not... I don't know, it's not too hard, really. You have to be, you have to check Facebook because Mark Zuckerberg's taking over all our lives. So. Yeah. And so, like, yeah, well, I'll just, like, approve a couple members and if, and get a notification when someone posts and make sure it's not something awful. So did someone ask you to be an admin or did you, like, start the page? No, I didn't start the page. I think uh, Jen Saunderson and a couple other people, maybe Nick in, I don't know who the original people who started was. It was a before my time <laughs> but mm-hmm. yeah i'm just um i guess they thought i was a responsible person with an, a lot of free time and i'm at least one of those so <laughs> that's cool uh yeah just because i you know when pe- when anyone in the country i feel like wants to get on a show here that's the first page they go to yeah so that's like pretty cool it's like yeah. the page in the <laughs> pacific northwest yeah i got a good badge. resource <laughs> it is it's a good resource if you're coming up and you want to get booked or you're looking for open mics or shows yes um, yeah <laughs> so tell me about uh you know your experience at comedy underground just running the you're running the mics there and you're do you run any other shows there um no i'll manage uh sometimes on the weekends or host and i host and stuff there it's i don't know running the open mic is fun i really like it some people get really down on open mics i think they're fun i watch most of the open mic every week which um people might question my sanity but i don't know i got into comedy because i like watching comedy and it's fun to see what people are doing people do some really interesting stuff people do some really horrifying stuff um some people are doing stuff that i think is kind of cool but it's not necessarily working yet but it's interesting to watch them develop uh and there's a you know there's a lot of pretty good people that I think are kind of coming up right now who are regulars there. And that's nice to see. It's good to have that opportunity to watch, um, to maybe, I don't know, foster talent a little bit. And, uh, I, we have, you know, the callback show on Tuesdays, which Bo Johnson runs. And so it's nice to be able to refer people and hopefully, yeah, give them opportunities. Like you want to give people the chances that you got. And I don't think, I don't believe in that. There's a, there can be a thing in comedy about, you know, pulling the ladder up after you or, you know, gatekeeping. But to me, more quality comedy just means people have to be better and mm-hmm. 
I don't know. That's not bad to me. <laughs> yeah. Do you think there's a lot of like pay it forward in the Seattle comedy scene? I think we have a pretty good scene that can be kind of nurturing and people will, you know, talk about stuff, which I like to see. Um, I'm not sure. I can't really compare it to other scenes. It's the only scene I've been mm-hmm. a part of. But I do think that there are people who try to, you know, help each other out and want to promote. Obviously, as a comedian, you have like it's can be tough because you're very focusing. You have to think about yourself. You're your own business. You have to book yourself. You have to figure out everything you're doing. So it can be a little tough. Um, but I do think that if you're that's what you should be doing if you have the chance um, giving people opportunities that you've that you know they've they should have which is you know ephemeral that's a very ephemeral criteria mm-hmm. who deserves it's not even necessarily deserve it's just you know who's gonna do something with an opportunity i guess because there are people who you could say you know here's stage time and they might completely waste it are there people who will really like try hard and bring it mm-hmm. and that's what you like to see is people who are making the most of it every time you get on stage you should be trying to do something so <laughs> yeah totally I, I was talking to um dave tribble um i don't know he's a booker in the pacific northwest and he was mm-hmm. saying that uh in the past it was very common for he- big headliners in the pacific northwest to come to the open mics mm-hmm. and actually develop those like mentoring kind of like relationships with the younger comics yeah and that actually isn't something that i've seen really mm-hmm. and I, so it seems like that um i don't know yeah change have you did you ever see anything like that i haven't really seen much of that i don't see not since i've started um i did so i started uh managing at the underground maybe a few months ago before that it was robert pity mike mazzalotti Carl Warmanhoven uh, was a ran the mic a long time ago, so there's been a lot of it's been that and it's been around for years. The Comedy Underground has been here for a long. Oh yeah, time. it's like the oldest comedy club in Seattle, right? Yeah. Um, so there's you sometimes get people who come through, um, and maybe will want to work on some stuff like Ty Burnett or Cliff Barnes or you know uh, Tony Daniels, people who headline around here, but it's. I guess it's less maybe just because there's so many more people. Back in the old days, from what I understand, mics were a little more wild westy and yeah. probably more time available. So I do wish that there was more mingling of people of various skill levels. You do get some senior people who come through, or what I would consider senior people coming through the mic, like the people I mentioned, people have been doing a long time here, like Wilfred, Brent, um, mm-hmm. Wilfred Padua. And it's always... I would like that because that's one thing when I've traveled to other places like Atlanta or wherever, you get the opportunity to see really good working comics work on their material. Yeah. And that's pretty invaluable. Um, So I do wish there was more. If you are a headliner in the Pacific Northwest listening right now, please come through the Comedy Underground. I'll give you some extra time. Come show people how it's done. <laughs> so. Yeah, nice. Come through. <laughs> uh, it would be nice. Yeah. And... I'm sure that there's also the fact that a lot of the people who were headliners, Kermit Apio, that kind of, you know, Gabe and Brad, they're all, they all work. They're all, you know, working comics. Mm-hmm. And so maybe they just don't have time for that I anymore. I know. It's just like so busy because they have to like. Yeah. And once you, you know, I'm sure once you get to a certain level, you can kind of work on newer stuff and you don't maybe need that within your, the context of your actual set. 
Yeah. You get enough time. But, um, so let's go back to open mic thing. So, I mean, you have a lot of experience running the mic. What are some like lessons in running an open mic that you've learned? Oh, God. <laughs> uh, I One thing I will say if you're running an open mic, um, it should be uh, – you should run it like a show. It should be – you should strive for quality if you can. Um, don't be afraid to like talk to people if they are doing something weird or off-putting. It's because people talk about you know censorship. I don't think it's censorship to want to run a quality show, especially a lot of mics aren't even in clubs; they're in bars or something. And you have to think about the venue. You have to think about their customers, you know, and what what you can do. Every even on open mic, anything you put out that's comedy you're like kind of a brand ambassador for the brand of stand-up comedy. Mm-hmm. And so what do you want to show? Do you want it to be all all your buddies getting drunk and doing eight minutes in a bar until they get sick of you and kick you out? <laughs> you know? So think about that. I think my advice is always to be intentional in what you're trying to do. Know what you want to accomplish with the mic. And if you're running... A mic, uh, I, I don't know, ordering the list is one thing I recommend. Don't just do it in order of whoever signs up, um, especially if you get a good mix of newer and newer people and established people because yeah. then you have the opportunity to uh, pick the room back up, show people a good time. Yeah, I'd say just run it like a show. Don't start it super late. Uh, don't wait around for people to sign up. If people aren't signing up for your mic, you might just do personal outreach to some people who you would like to see there. Yeah. Hit people up on Facebook and ask if they'd like to come out and whatever. Don't, I don't know. It's not as easy as putting out a piece of paper and convincing a bar to let you plug in a microphone, I feel. Especially if you want, there's something to be said for any time you stand up and talk in front of a mic. Uh, I was lucky. I was at All Jane last year and Lori Kilmartin was on an industry panel there and she said, Something that I was like, that's very true, that there is something about a muscle you develop just from standing with a microphone in your hand and talking. And I do think that that's true. But um, just if do what you can to give yourself the most valuable stage time. If you're going to put the effort into running a mic, put a little more effort into, you know, making it the best you can be and not just an excuse for you to get some stage time or whatever. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> that, I mean, that, that sounds really important. What kind of thought goes into structuring, like choosing the order, like the lineup itself? Um, Do you have a philosophy of like? Um, if I know the comics, I can. You can kind of think about their energy or what, you know, what their like kind of sensibility is. You might not want to put two people who are too similar right after each other. Or, you know, if you have someone who's kind of a not not low energy. But, you know, subdued energy, mm-hmm. <laughs> a subdued energy comic, someone who is a higher energy to pick back up after. Um, and, you know, if it's someone you've never seen, you might want to have someone you know is pretty good up after them in mm-hmm. case they do something like I saw a guy do a few weeks ago, which was a joke about, I think, how he raped his grandmother and gave her lung cancer. <laughs> wow. 
uh, was his big closer. Uh, <laughs> so, the grand close. Uh, the great so, closer. Yeah, so when you have someone who there's a good chance they might come up there, if you see someone with a guitar. <laughs> That's a red flag. <laughs> put someone up who's good after them. Someone who has an instrument uh, or a briefcase yeah. is a red flag. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I would suggest if you're ordering the like. I there's something you know very democratic about the sign up go up thing that I think can be fun and it's less work for sure for the producer to just you sign up you go up. Um, but I do think that you get a little bit more quality if you do that, or even if people are going in the order of they sign up, get your friends that you or the people you hit up that you want to come to the mic give them like slip them in in between people or something yeah (laughs) don't be afraid to play with it because you're running it you don't don't try to please the comics try to please the venue and try to please the audience because they're the people who are going to give you money exactly for comedy it is a business yeah so that being said i noticed that you know comedy underground seems to have like a pretty well attended open mic you know why do you think that is uh, well, there's something for the name, the brand. You know, it's the Comedy Underground. It's the oldest mic in, or the oldest, it's the longest running mic in Seattle, first of all, and the oldest comedy club. Um, it's a great spot. It's by the light rail, which is nice. It's just a great place to do comedy. I think it feels like a comedy club for a lot of people who have a very traditional idea of what a comedy club is because it's got the brick walls, the low ceilings, and. I, I like to think it's that, you know, we've run, we've been running a pretty quality mic for a, like a while now. There's definitely been, from what I understand, variations in how it's been run. Um, like I said, some before my time here. But, you know, Mike did a great job running it, and then Robert took over, and he w- did a really good job. And I think there's a lot of focus on quality and um, just, you know, making sure that it's a pretty good show. Uh, which is a philosophy that we've adopted as, you know, production team. Uh, it's, it, you know, it's about the audience. And if, so I think that we, I think that maybe that helps. And it's very, it's an affordable six bucks. Yeah. Good chance to chill out on a Monday. And we've, we have a few regulars, which is nice. It's cool to see the same people coming in. Really? Like the yeah. same patrons coming every time? Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's yeah. interesting. There are some people, I see them in the audience, they're like, don't talk. <laughs> <laughs> Get embarrassed if I like try to talk to them, but they're like, we like coming. <laughs> huh. uh, do you guys like explicitly advertise or is it just kind of advertise itself? I think it advertises itself. You know, we create an event on Facebook and it's on the website, but I think word of mouth and... Um, if you're looking to see a comedy open mic, um, it's, we also get a lot of people who will come because they want to try comedy and their first thought is why not go to a comedy club, which honestly probably the most fun way to do comedy the first time is to a big audience in a comedy club Yeah. <laughs> versus, you know, in a weird bar or something and coconut jacks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love coconut, just the name coconut jacks. I wonder if they're it's still so doing funny. it. I'll have to check it out next time I'm it's in town. So funny. <laughs> Wow. Um, so, yeah, the one thing I really like about Seattle is compared to other scenes, at least in New York and L.A., uh, you know, the stage time here is great. Like the open mm-hmm. mics are shows like they're they're called open mics, but they're really just shows like for mm-hmm. all like functionality of getting feedback and performing on stage. Like there's no I mean, maybe the difference is you get less time at some time, like three minutes. Um but the quality is like a show. In New York and LA, it seems more like the rooms are very small and there's only comics and it's like really dry energy. You'll hear like, um, 
you know, baristas, like, making coffee in the background <laughs> and, like, grinding beans. Like, it's totally different feel here. It actually feels like you actually have a space to, um, you know, perform, yeah. which yeah. is cool. Totally. The stage time you get here is really valuable. And I think that's echoed by people who come from L.A. and New York and say, you know, this is I – I did this open mic and it was better than shows, like you yeah. said. Because there's – you know 20 30 people and an open mic sometimes and you know just a bar and you've got you it's a great opportunity which is why it can be so frustrating sometimes as a comedian to see people get on stage and kind of fritter away that time but i mean everybody's got it right it just means that they're not getting as much that much out of it um but yeah we do have great open mics here and great shows so I agree from what I've heard. I don't have a lot of direct experience with L.A. or New York. Yeah. But, yeah. You just went, though, right, to L.A.? Like I did. Last month. Yeah, I did. How it was, was that? Fun. It was fun. We did a couple. We uh, set, I went with Aaron Engel. We did Set List. We did Roast Battle. Oh, uh, that's fun. Yeah, and we did a couple other shows. Sauce and um, Out of Town West. I think it's the other name. I'm okay. Probably forgetting them. But they were all very they were all very fun shows. And it was fun. I hadn't been to LA before really. So really? it was cool to well, what are your thoughts check it out. As your first time in LA. I mean I had fun, but I'm not trying to be a comic there, so I wasn't Yeah. I wasn't like, Oh, I have to hit Mike. So I was like, Let's go to Muscle Beach and <laughs> the Magic Castle. So it was yeah. yeah so I had a fun time. <laughs> so do you what, what do you, I mean, you mentioned you don't want to move there. Do you think you're going to, do you want to stay in the Pacific Northwest, like your comedy career, or do you want to go to New York or something? I don't know. I'm, I don't, I'm, I haven't thought that far ahead, I guess. And I'm not sure I would never move to LA or New York or anything, but um, there's a lot of great comedy happening all over the country. Uh, Minneapolis is amazing. Mm-hmm. Atlanta's great. Uh, you know, Chicago is awesome. So, I think that there's a lot of opportunities and I understand the pool for the pool to LA. It was, I had a lot of fun there and I see why it's a cool place to live, but Seattle's great. I love it here. And I, the city's constantly changing. So who knows what it's going to look like in a couple of years, but yeah. I do think that there's a lot of uh, opportunities to create things that here and have them be well attended. I think there's a lot exactly. of people in the city who have money, who need things to do. There's so many people. What is it like? A few thousand people are moving in per week or something like that. Yeah. Just from Amazon and. Yeah, yeah. We have a huge influx of people. So comics get out there and get that Amazon money. Shake it, those people down. It, <laughs> yeah, it's weird because like, I mean, doesn't it? I mean, I could be wrong, but it seems like I mean, comedy people and don't like tech people. They like just like mm-hmm. you're ruining the city. Like there's too much of you. Like fuck off. Kind of vibe. But like it's. I see it as such a unique opportunity to like get more audience. Yeah, uh, I think I think just in general, the city there's a lot of pushback against tech due to you know the gentrification and the raised rents and everything. Yeah. Uh, kind of the surge in the homeless population and the fact that there's not a lot of you know resources coming from the companies moving in. Right, we're not getting they're not taxing Amazon or anything. Instead, they're taxing soda. Yeah, did you see they, thing. like, paid zero dollars in federal taxes? And yeah, they're, like, ridiculous. Like, $600 billion corporation. It's or ridiculous. 700. Yeah, that's insane. Um, and so it's... So there is, a, I think, that, you know, comedians are generally not 
wealthy people. So I'm sure a lot of that comes from sort of the class divide. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it's necessarily that they wouldn't. I'm sure we would all absolutely take tech people's money, <laughs> come to our comedy shows and give us cash. That would be totally fine. Um, so I don't think that it's necessarily something against uh, the fact that there are people here who might want to come to shows. I think it's more, when you see comics talking about it, I think just from their experience and the yeah. fact that, you know, Seattle's become a more expensive and more difficult city to live in. Very true. Yeah. I was talking to one guy in an Uber ride and he he works for one of the like Seattle magazines. And he's also like an artist. He does like this really cool like kind of like African influence like paintings mm-hmm. and murals and stuff like that. And he was saying that um, Amazon and a lot of big corporations hire him to do like art and painting. And I just thought mm-hmm. it was such a unique thing because you know, when these corporations actually hire people, you know, that are artists, they pay a lot of money. Sure. And then it's yeah. like, that's like the perfect, like, way to use your skill and also get paid a lot and take advantage of that, what could be seen as, like, you know, a negative thing in the city. You can mm-hmm. kind of, like, also, there is a way to, like, mix art with it and get benefits from your art. I don't know. I thought that was cool because the more money actually in a way like people can pay for art whereas yeah. if there's i don't know i'm just saying one like one perspective is like that like they could pay for your art i guess mm-hmm. yeah i don't know <laughs> no there's definitely a lot of there's money to be made in you know corporate uh work corporate gigs and yeah if you can f- figure out an angle and get in on that there's for sure um it definitely favors, uh, not to be, again, my very political beliefs, things like clean comedy can be, to me, a little bit um, tricky to navigate because what is, you know, people will say clean comedy. Is it not cursing? Is it not talking about sex? I don't know. There's also the implication that it can't be political. It can't be anything like that. Mm-hmm. But what if your existence is inherently political? If you're a person, you yeah. know, who, whose background, who's, you know if your lived experiences reflect something that is considered controversial, you know, if you're a trans person or something like that, then your very existence, even if you never curse or talk about sex, is that something that's in your, like, negative against you? That's interesting. And I think that, you know, that comes from kind of the button. It's like, is that, am I not clean comedy because of, like, my existence? Like, totally, yeah. That's, which is kind of screwed up. Yeah, and I I don't know if that the answer to that, but it is something that sometimes I think about when I see you know calls for clean comedians and corporate comedians, because I do think that you anyone can you know like I guess any you can entertain a room, it, regardless of your identity. In my opinion, it's more about the audience overcoming whatever inherent prejudices or the booker overcoming those inherent prejudices. If you're a good comic, I think most comics can you know, do well in a room if they're set up for that kind of success. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because, you know, if you're trans or person of color or another kind of, like, traditionally marginalized Mm -hmm. group, in a way, like, even though, like, the traditional, like, power structure is kind of, like, doesn't benefit you, I feel like there's a way, like, there's that niche there. Mm -hmm. Like, there's something with, like, there must be some sort of way to leverage that. Like, because not a lot of people can speak to those like there's a huge like trans community and like lgbt community and like people of color community that want like 
mm-hmm. representation in comedy. So yeah. I'm just like... And there are definitely shows in Seattle that are, you know, doing that and working to um, who, you know, serve those communities and do put on great shows. Like Cutie Pock is not a rapper is an awesome show. Yeah. Uh, that happens every second Saturday at Scratch. That's focused on, you know, t- um, the Cutie Pock community. And they're, they do awesome work and hilarious comedians. And But it's the question is, like, um, as far as mainstream corporate culture that kind of thing it's still so dictated by you know how many people in power are interested in that which is kind of the thing about empowerment right is there's only so much you can do from inside there's also got to be to empower people you uh kind of it's kind of inherent that you will have to give up power Mm -hmm. so um who's going to do that not really an enormous corporation probably yeah (laughs) It's such a shame because, like, there's definitely huge markets for that. And they could definitely, like, it sucks that they that people have to go through that corporate kind of gate. Yeah. Yeah. It's I don't know. It's that huge question about or I probably ancient question. Right. About art and money. You know, Mm -hmm. what is art right now can't really exist without capitalism and that kind of like you need that kind of sponsorship right to create you need money to make art um but who does the money come from what do they want from you and how does that change what you're doing with your art um or how or who are they giving the money to and is it the people whose voices we need yeah i really look up to like chance the rapper for doing that kind of like going around Mm-hmm. Like the labels and the record companies and just like posting the SoundCloud and stuff like that. Totally. I feel like where people that are maybe not traditionally like welcomed by corporate America and like mm-hmm. just because the power structure is like not like balanced in a way that's fair. I feel like doing things like going on SoundCloud and like, yeah. you know, finding your own way around that and promoting yourself and finding that niche and like capitalizing on that mm-hmm. is like could, could be a cool way to go but it's hard obviously yeah it is but I do I also I don't know I'm interested to see media in general how it's going to change you know we've got the traditional epicenters for entertainment and I don't think the LA New York those are going to change but now that technology is getting cheaper I mean basically we're sitting here in your living room doing a radio show right yeah and you know 10 years ago how hard would that have been you would have it would have been very expensive and now it's sort of you could like talk into your phone and do that and you can make a movie on your phone you can like there's it might not be the world's greatest movie but there's opportunities to create that content and find that audience and it's i think that um obviously you know you still tend to go through these channels like youtube or whatever but i think it's going to be interesting to see how media landscape develops as more and more people have access to the tools to create things they want to create. Yeah. I want, I don't know. I want, I want to do something to like just empower people to not have to go through the corporate mm-hmm. thing. Just like people should be able to just do it on their own. Like, I don't know. I, that idea really inspired me. Yeah. But um, I just think it's interesting. <laughs> so. All right. Welcome to the socialist revolution. Uh- <laughs> this is the <laughs> revolution. Gonna- <laughs> it's, it's interesting. I, I'm really conflicted. I consider myself pretty like I like the idea of capitalism, but there's also a lot of like 
don't know, holes with it. Like it's, <laughs> there's a lot of problems with it. I don't know if we want to get into it because also I probably won't even be able to back up what I'm saying. So, uh, I don't know that the people. I don't know what people are listening for. If you, <laughs> yeah. if you want to talk about dismantling capitalism, I'm always down. Yeah, wait, wait, what is this? I think becoming? it's a, yeah. I, um, is this comedy stuff? <laughs> No, it's um, but but the question of making money in comedy is a tough one. Uh, I, um, I a very interesting thing from that I, I I was lucky enough uh, to go to a couple festivals last year. One of the things that benefited was a real benefit of those is you get to go to these industry panels that they set up. And I was doing two eight. I'm just gonna keep plugging awesome stuff that I had fun doing. Two oh eight uh, comedy festival, which Emma Arnold runs um and it was it was really awesome they set up a great panel and one of the things that uh someone said he wasn't even on the panel but dana gould was there and he said you know when you're a comedian your job is booking getting yourself booked and reaching out to people networking finding opportunities that kind of thing that's your job sending those emails all the stuff you don't want to do and then the reward is you get to do comedy yeah. So it's like comedy is actually kind of a boring desk job uh, that you have to do. Until you have an agent that just does it. Yeah. Um, so I thought that the, I was like, that's a good way of putting it because it really, really puts into perspective all the stuff that you think of as kind of because uh, a lot of people, you know, think, oh, someone will just come to me and book me and give me this stuff. But you really do have to reach out and get rejected and ask for stuff. And, exactly. And be be ready to be told no, which is the hardest thing like, for, I think, a lot of people to, is they think, well, I asked for it. And it's like, well, yeah, just because you asked doesn't mean you're going to get it. <laughs> and, yeah. Do you have a philosophy on like when, at what stage in a maybe a beginning comedian's career should they start um you know, asking for things and self-promoting in that way? Uh, I think it takes, uh, if, as a comedian in general, I think you probably need a lot of self-awareness. And uh, if you're able to consistently kind of go to ver- a variety of rooms, clubs, all rooms stuff, and do pretty well, maybe um, ask someone. You're going to probably have to do some kind of unpaid, but if you have, you know, 10 minutes, you can probably get a guest spot somewhere or, you know, it doesn't hurt to reach out if you have a good tape. That's always helpful. Um, I would, I didn't start applying to festivals until I had a tape I liked that I thought reflected the comedy I was doing and the way I wanted to perform it. Um, because to me, why would I send a tape to someone that I didn't like? So I would say if you're doing stuff that you can look at and watch that tape and say, this is good and I like it, then I don't know. At least you're doing com- the comedy you want to do and you're satisfied with it. Not everyone might agree, but then you can, you're being honest with yourself and saying, I think that I can do this. And yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I mean, it is interesting. Like, it's very much being an entrepreneur at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I think having those skills of, you know, self promoting and also being self aware and knowing what stage you're at. It's so important because you're the product and you need also, you're also the salesman yeah. at the same time. Because it's also terrible to get something you're not ready for. That's not, you know, you might rise to the occasion, but it's also if you, you know, say I can, I can headline when you've only really got maybe 10 great minutes. Maybe you've written a bunch, but maybe I've just seen this happen where people have been doing it less than a year and they're like, I can do 45 minutes. 
maybe, maybe you're the next coming of, you know, <laughs> whoever your favorite comic is, but odds are you're going to probably just kind of look foolish and, you know, yeah. not do. So you have to consider that, that you can burn yourself by asking for things you're not ready for or taking advantage of, you know, people who might not be too aware. Mm-hmm. What are uh, some specific uh, skills or maybe things should people okay i guess those are very different things what things should people do that are trying to you know step up their game in comedy say you have a comedian who's you know regularly attending open mics and maybe you know doing some shows what mm-hmm. what's going to get them to like the next level of maybe getting them to a, being a feature level or a headliner level like what what kind of things should they do uh, I mean, I don't know. Obviously, any advice I'm giving is well, someone told me something, which I think that they heard from someone else that I thought was great advice, which is only take advice from comedians you want to be like. So if you're like, this lady sucks and I want to be like her, don't listen to me, probably. <laughs> Do whatever someone else tells you. Um, but if you want to, so what, if you're, you know, doing open mics, maybe you're getting guest spots, like 10 minutes, that kind of thing, but you want to get up to like featuring. Sure. Um, I don't know. There's the question is, where do you want to feature? If you're looking to honestly be, you can even be sometimes just talk to people. I would say, look at what you want and ask them what's the, what's the way to get it? Because different clubs, different institutions, different people have different requirements. It's for some people, they might say you can feature if you bring 10 friends, in which case probably not a lot of quality control, but you can definitely get that 20-minute spot or 25-minute spot <laughs> if yeah. you bring people. Um, it's also a lot of people you know, who run open mics might do longer sets, and that's a great way to test out if you even have the material for that. Uh, there's you know bookers who book kind of casinos, that kind of thing, who might be looking for people. And so you could say... Who do I know who's featured or is featuring and talk to them. That's always my advice is, you know, if you see someone who's doing something and you think I would like to do that, ask them how they got it. And exactly. And if they aren't comfortable recommending you for it, hopefully they will tell you that. And I think that that's a fair response. You don't have to say, uh, you know, if someone asks, they might be like, hey, I think you probably just need to work on this a little more. Or they might ask, you know, do you have this clean material? Because that's what they want. Mm-hmm. But if you see someone who's getting gigs and you want to know how they're doing it, see if they'll talk to you about it. Buy them a coffee or whatever. Pick their brain. And a lot of comics have been pretty open about it. Um, Some bookers, you know, they might want to tape and some recommendations and you can see if people who work with them are willing to vouch for you. So a word of, I think uh, one thing I found is, you know, uh, having a good name, a good reputation, which is another reason why I say don't waste your stage time and don't ask for stuff you're not ready for because you want to have a good reputation as a person who comes in and does their job, which is just to entertain the audience. It's not to like show how smart and clever and edgy or funny or like whatever you think you are. And hopefully, you know, as you get better, you can do all the stuff you want to do. You can say the clever, cool, interesting, edgy things you want to say, but you're doing it in a way that won't alienate an audience that will entertain them. Because mm-hmm. that's what our job is, is to go entertain people. And so you just have to prove that you can do... I think if you constantly just go up and prove you can do the job, then once you ask for it, people will 
be happy to give it to you. Interesting. But there's not the element of, you know, it just coming to you, you don't think. I uh, think a lot of people like to sit and wait. Yeah, and I think you can get stuff that way. You know, you'll probably get people who will hit you up for bookings occasionally, but if you see something that you want to do or you look at your calendar and you say, I wish I had more stuff, then hit some people up and see if there's spots and just try and do it. Because one of the things about booking a comedy show or producing a show that I've I tend to struggle with is you know you can't be everywhere all the time and seeing everybody and you tend to have certain people who are fresh on your mind you think oh I really like that joke or like I know this person's good but you might miss other people who are very good and doing good stuff and so um yeah I think that asking doesn't hurt because Especially, like I said, if you have a tape, if I've never, if I was booking something and I'd never seen you, but you have a good tape and people were willing, and I asked people who have been on shows with you, what do you think of this person? And they say, oh yeah, they were really funny. They were really, you know, they were on time. They weren't a dick, that kind of thing. Yeah. Then that goes a long way because that's all you want is to have a good show that the audience really likes. <laughs> so That's awesome. You said a lot that I really, um, really resonated with me. Just, mm-hmm. you know how it's important to look at the institutions you want to get into and understand what that flow is like to Mm -hmm. wherever you want to get, whether it be like a feature or headliner spot. I thought that was really interesting. Also, uh, your point of, you know, don't be afraid to talk to someone who's doing what you want to do and find out how they do that because that's the whole point of this podcast. And I think (laughs) I I love that mentality and I think that's really valuable to, you know, reach out to the people that inspire you. Yeah. Because, like, chances are they'll respond back. And if not, like, it's fine. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's probably someone else who will talk to you. Or maybe if they're not interested in talking to you, maybe think about, hey, maybe I'm not really – maybe they don't take me seriously or maybe they don't – which – maybe they're just not not cool. Maybe they're just kind of a dick and that's fine too. Yeah. So, yeah. That's That's cool. That's good advice. Um, What would you say – would make someone what are some attributes a or yeah maybe habits that would be good to be more bookable in the pacific northwest scene um hmm you know don't uh obviously don't flake or double book yourself try to just get a calendar something that blows my mind is people like just put it in a google calendar or something whatever you're doing (laughs) make sure that you're not um yeah, be out there. Um, there's a, just a lot that goes towards honestly being kind of being funny is a huge part of it, but it's also being punctual, being cool to be around. You know, you're not that, don't be that person who gets wasted or is like a jerk. Don't think that you, don't act entitled. Don't think you, you know, don't come in thinking you deserve something. And because we're all, are as comics we have all got kind of egos and we've all got our own like opinion very opinionated i'd say that's one of the main things you have to be to be a comic is yeah. a lot of opinion strong opinions um and yeah just i'm sure that there's i'm an opinionated person and i know that there are people who are, are not interested in working with me based on those opinions and that's okay <laughs> so just also if you just be willing to accept that people people aren't into you then i guess you just kind of have to take it and try to become i i think just being a person who is undeniable on stage is the most obvious way to do it 
Mm, I yeah. Um, like be so good they can't ignore you, like Steve yeah. Martin kind of thing. But there's also there's also an aspect to you might not be undeniable. You might be like pretty good. You might be funny and you know, but you might not be like someone who comes in and blows the roof off a room. But if you're a person who's easy to be around, who you know isn't rude or then you're bookable you know there's not there's a lot to be said for just being a person who doesn't suck yeah (laughs) who is also decent yeah yeah that's cool yeah because a lot of times people are like i need to be the best i mean like sure like that's important but also be a good person well yeah because it isn't a contest it's a show uh and i mean sometimes it's a contest but ultimately you're part of the show and it's kind of a team effort to make it good so don't be too egotistical be willing to get up there and maybe you have a great new joke that you want to do but it might alienate the room don't do that joke and save it for the open mic and do the stuff that'll best serve the show and people notice when you know you're consistently doing a good job it's it is obvious it might not seem like people are noticing but every producer is in uh, other comics were always watching and paying attention, and it's easy to see who's, you know, trying and doing well and who's kind of getting drunk and phoning it in or yeah. you know, getting up there as a, I don't know, for whatever they're trying to do, which is fine if you're doing comedy as kind of a exercise in your internal self, but then don't complain you're not getting booked <laughs> because yeah. all you do is get up there and <laughs> unload on us like you're in therapy. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely makes sense. So you also run, you don't run a podcast anymore, but you did run a podcast. Are you working on any podcast related endeavors? Yeah. Maddie Downs and I used to have a podcast called Sexual Awaken Baking, where we talked to guests about weed and uh, drugs and formative sexual experiences. Uh, But we're now working on another podcast called Jokes 10 Looks 3 that will hopefully be coming out in the next month or so. The first season of that will start, uh, and that's just a podcast about musicals. We both like musicals, cool. so yeah, we're just talking about musicals. Nothing really comedy related, except that we're both very funny. So, <laughs> do, you, do you do you guys have any um, specific like plan on how you're gonna, you know, release that? Do you have I don't know, like, because I, I was reading sometimes people are like you have to release three episodes when you first start you have to do this this and this again itunes new and noteworthy all that stuff oh i don't know maybe i should read that article we were planning on just doing doing a season releasing you know 12 episodes or something and then uh she's gonna be moving to la so probably recording another season as we can and releasing the next one when we get a chance so sweet uh we don't have any plans send me those articles because I don't know how to do it. Uh. Okay, well, I, I will. Um, <laughs> I will send those articles, and I will. Um, I also plug this podcast in the <laughs> show notes for sure. Cool. Do you have any other things you want to like plug or mention? Shows, stuff like that. Uh, we talked a little about you know comedy underground open mic every Monday at eight, probably eight thirty, starting soon because we got summer hours. Comedy nest every Tuesday at eight. Those are both great shows. Um, I don't know. I probably have some things coming up that are fun but i don't know when this podcast will come out so you look for me i've got a website natalieholtcomedy.com uh and follow me on twitter which is at fistful of hollas h-o-l-l-a-s <laughs> so you can follow me on twitter and i like to tweet <laughs> sweet yeah cool well we can wrap things up all right then. Cool. well thanks for being here i appreciate yeah, it Yeah. thanks for having me
Cool. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning into Working Comic Podcast. There's a new episode every week where I interview writers, directors, comedians, producers, any kind of creative thing you can think of, and also the business side of things. So club owners, agents, managers, festival runners, all that stuff. So tune in every week. And uh, also follow me on social media at the Austin Nasso on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And you can also catch me on YouTube with Chabros, C-H-A-A, Bros, one word. Uh, we have some funny videos up, so check it out. Thanks, guys.